but like two or three. Okay, so children, while I'm talking, I would like for you to draw what the most extraordinary thing you've ever seen in your whole entire life, what was that? Or if you were the superhero that we talked about, draw yourself as an amazing, extraordinary superhero, okay? Does that sound good? You can draw all over this. Go for it. Okay. Although, I need you guys to use your, your quiet mouse voices because we're gonna, I'm going to be talking while you're drawing, okay? Great. All right. Huh? I love it. It looks beautiful. Okay. So, as the children just showed us, it kind of fell off. But we're in the great green growing days, or as the, the boring church calls it, ordinary time or common time. And uh, this is a time between Pentecost and Advent. Here on our calendar, we have uh, the season of creation, but it's the time in between, the really long section of kind of nothing. And at first, common sounds really plain. It sounds boring. Let me get my thing going. It sounds boring, but it's important. It's counted. It's accounted for. So we count all of the Sundays. We're six Sundays past Pentecost. It's counted and cared enough that we keep track. Uh, as, a, as an adult, as a human in general, for a long time, I felt that my life was so boring. I lived in a boring town. I lived next to boring cows. I lived next to boring cornrows. And nothing exciting ever, ever, ever happened to me. I remember people uh, in my church, we had this like event. It was like once a quarter or something. It was like testimony night. And the whole church would come and pile into this auditorium at my church, and somebody would share their testimony, and everybody was crying for some reason. And like one time, there was a biker there, and he was like, I used to be in Hell's Angels, and now I love Jesus. And everybody was like weeping. And I was so embarrassed, because I didn't have a come to Jesus moment. I never did anything like cool so that when I shared my testimony, people would be like, oh my gosh, God has worked within her. Nothing cool, nothing. I, uh, I used to call myself a neonatal Nazarene because I've been going to a Nazarene church since nine months before I was born. And I was born on Wednesday, actually, and then I was dedicated Sunday. So I was there like <laughs> right out the womb, basically. Uh, and so all my life, I felt really boring, ordinary, and I wasn't sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing. My mom, of course, was like, yes, perfect child. You've done nothing, which is not the case anymore, but you've done nothing wrong, and that is good. But I felt uneasy, like sitting in the, is my life common? Is that bad? Am I boring? And that is a depressing place to be. Feeling as though the world is so vibrant and full of colors and people have such cool things to talk about, but you don't, and you're a little gray and colorless. So eventually in spurts during high school and college, I was like, the life is literally meaningless. It's pointless. 
what is the what's the point of even doing this at all and this is a really dark time in the life of a seven on the enneagram because <laughs> i live my life looking for the fun things i usually can make lemonade out of dirt and worms but like when i'm sad i'm like very sad so what book of the bible do you read when you're sad ecclesiastes <laughs> that doesn't sound like the answer because ecclesiastes is also very sad and depressing and it's not sunshine and roses but when you feel sad or depressed or overwhelmed and you read something in scripture that validates what you feel it can be really really helpful so in ecclesiastes for clarification uh, there's two voices in this book the first line of this book where it says the words of the teacher the son of david king of jerusalem that is the author and then everything that happens after that is the teacher or koheleth is what his name is and koheleth talks all of ecclesiastes until the end of chapter 12 when the author comes back in and kind of like saves us from despair because koheleth is incredibly cynical he's known as the critic or the teacher or the preacher but here I'll call him Koheleth. So the bulk of the book is, is his voice, and it's one of the most cynical voices in all of scripture. As we read, he's just saying, life is vanity or meaningless. Sometimes it's translated as meaningless. So meaningless, meaningless, the teacher says, all of, is meaningless, all of life is meaningless. And he goes on and talks about all these things that we can't control and how bad things happen, and he continues to say, life is meaningless but ecclesiastes should not be read alone so ecclesiastes is a wisdom wisdom literature in the bible and the other books of wisdom literature are proverbs and job and all of these books give us a really unique perspective on ancient wisdom and uh, how we know things about the world and while they have their own voice they all teach us what it means to live a good life all of them together give us an account of the human experience. So if you've ever read Proverbs, Proverbs is uplifting. And if you do good, good will come to you and it's vibrant. And sometimes we might feel that way, but sometimes we feel like Koheleth, where everything is meaningless. And my life is completely ordinary and common with nothing exciting. So these wisdom books are compiled across the centuries, um, human, it got inspired wisdom upon the people and it's compiled across generations and each of the books happen in a different part of israel's history and that's why it's important that we take all of these perspectives together as a whole the three books address doubts and questions about other parts of the bible and it doesn't do this to make us doubt or to make us discredit the rest of scripture it does it to make sure that we have a holistic and honest faith. So it's bringing doubts that we all have, not to push us farther into despair, but to help us critically think about what do we believe, why do we think God is in the world, and what does it mean to live a good life? This faith requires us to be willing to think about and wrestle with doubts and questions about the world. And so the book can guide you through confusion. So what are those questions that these books ask? They ask, how do I live in the world? 
what does it mean to live a good life? If I do, what should I expect? What will God do for me? Wisdom literature is practical, and Ecclesiastes is the most practical out of all of these books. So what happens when you do good and horrible things happen to you? Why doesn't life work out? And where is God in all of this? So Proverbs, like I said, gives us a clean-cut view of the world. Um, If we think about these books as like people, Proverbs is like a young 20-somethings, seven on the Enneagram, me most of the time. Uh, They're really excited about life, has an optimistic viewpoint. They say, if you be wise and fear the Lord, things will go well for you. If you do the right thing, things will work out for you. There's a right and a wrong decision, and whichever one you choose will give you either good or bad. And Proverbs seem to live in carefree bliss, not worrying about things, because the world works exactly as planned if you play your part and you play your cards right. I feel as though I heard this a lot growing up in, uh, in the church and in my family. If you follow the rules, nothing bad is going to happen to you. If you work hard, good things are going to come to you. If you get good grades, you'll get into the college that you want. If you get a college degree, you'll get a good job. If you live life well, you have nothing to worry about. While this perspective in Proverbs is valuable, it's also important to read Proverbs tempered with the other wisdom books. So it's true that if you live wise, usually things will go well for you, usually. But Ecclesiastes pumps the brakes on Proverbs and says, "Uh, hey, there's realities in the world that don't fit in the Proverbs mold. Ecclesiastes says, I put the work in. I got the grades. I went to college, got the degree, but I can't get hired. What the heck? I did all the things that, that I was told I was supposed to do, and yet it's not working out for me. Ecclesiastes focuses on that time, focuses on the times where the Proverbs mold doesn't work anymore. In truth, Koheleth is fed up. And he understands that Proverbs doesn't work for everyone. Sometimes it does. Sometimes riches come to those who are righteous or wealth comes to those who do good. But sometimes the people who do good end up with the worst of circumstance. And those who don't deserve it are flourishing more than we could imagine. Proverbs claims that if you do good and believe in God, good things will come back to you. But Koheleth understands that this isn't the case. Koheleth, Koheleth finds himself in despair, and Job responds to Proverbs as well, and he's angry. Koheleth destructs the black, deconstructs the black and white view that God and the world work the way Proverbs says. So Koheleth is spinning this whole entire book with the existential question, What is human value? Is there meaning? Will anything make me more human? He asks these questions that young people think about. And here he talks about generations come and generations go. Young people often don't think about our death, but older people often think about death. Caleb was just talking about this. I've seen this in in his grandparents and in my grandparents. They're way more aware of what life means and that life is coming to a close. And this is what gives us the perspective that Koheleth is an older person who has seen the ways of the world, has experienced lots of things, and is cynical. 
His Kohelet compares human transience to the unchanging rhythms of the world. In chapter 1, he talks about the sun panting or hurrying back to its place. So it rises and sets and then just does it all over again, a never-ending cycle of boring of the same. He talks about the sun in this way, and the psalmist talks about the sun as springing forth, as a rejuvenated like a bridegroom. And Koheleth is like, yeah, whatever. It's not the way it seems. So this weariness is a direct reflection of him cynical and jaded about what life has to bring and in some ways it can be good to be jaded and to grow out of or to be weary of things like adults don't don't really like to play pretend like we once did we're not so keen on staying up late and going out shopping and gossiping about fourth period and that's a good thing that we've grown out or grown weary of those things that we did in our youth But what does it say about us if we grow weary of the sunrise or if we grow weary of the sunset or the gentle breeze or waves? What does that say about us if we become weary of of these beautiful things that Proverbs is more optimistic about? So Proverbs keeps us from becoming jaded, but wisdom must be read together. So in chapter one, these endless rhythms, these primordial rhythms, the sun, the wind, the water moving on its course, and even death. Koalas talks about generations coming and going as if it's the most common and ordinary thing in the world. And he calls all of this meaningless or vanity in our translation. The word meaningless has a bunch of translations, and it's kind of hard to pick an English one that makes sense but it's used 38 times in this relatively short book. It's only 12 chapters. And the Hebrew word for this is havel, which literally means vapor or smoke. So the thing is, smoke is real. We can see it. We can be affected by it. We can point to it, but the moment you try to grasp it, it's gone. It's no longer there. It moves right through your fingers. So if we read this a little bit more, accurately maybe life is like smoke it's here and gone i like to think of it as clouds so as a kid you lay up in the in the grass and you're looking at the clouds and you find a shape and then as soon as i would look over at my brother and point back up to the cloud it was gone shifted into something else something else for my mind to discover clouds are light and fluffy one minute and then the next they're dark ominous and destructive And this, too, is like life. Another way to translate this word havel is absurd or enigma or a paradox. And Koheleth understands that there's a glitch in the system, that things are not always certain and true. So at the end of chapter 1, Koheleth says that he has acquired great wisdom and knowledge. In the, in the end, he says, I the, I, the teacher, was king over Jerusalem, which we kind of assume this is Solomon, but then again, it doesn't matter who the person actually is. The point of, the point of Ecclesiastes still rings true. So he says, I have applied my mind to seek out wisdom. I've lived this full life, and I have come to the conclusion that life is meaningless. Life is a vapor. But I'll give you a spoiler. At the end of the book, the answer isn't, well, okay, do whatever you want. Yeah, life is meaningless. It's a vapor. It doesn't matter. Life sucks. It isn't consistent. Do what makes you happy. 
Instead, Kohala says, it's better to be wise and to live in the fear of the Lord, but you should adjust your expectations so that you, your worldview isn't shattered when life doesn't work the way you think. Koheleth is telling us that it's good to live in the fear of the Lord and to be a righteous, upright person, but don't hold things so tightly that when it doesn't work, when the system doesn't work as it's, you've been told, that you aren't completely crushed and shattered. Life is an enigma, and it doesn't work the way we think. It's real, but not always, and not in all cases. Life is meaningless if we try to figure it out on our own. So we live in this common time most of our life. Our common time of life is broken up by graduations and birthdays and birth and death. But a lot of the time, we wake up, we go to work, we go to school, we do our homework, we eat, we go to sleep, and we do it again. These common rhythms over and over again in our lives. But a lot of our life is sitting here in this liminal space, the in-between, and we pause to think about what does this even mean? We wonder about our lives. Why do we wake up and do the same thing over and over again? Is life meaningless? Is there meaning at all? As a kid, I used to stay up and force myself to stay awake until my body just like shut down and went to sleep. I hated the ordinary time after my bedtime routine had finished and before I drifted to sleep. That was like scary for me. I don't know why, but I hated thinking about my life and the way things that had transpired. And I hated trying to rationalize answers to things that I couldn't come up with. I didn't know why things were happening to me. So instead, I forced myself to stay busy, to keep my mind going until I absolutely couldn't stay awake one more second and so I had no downtime, and I just fell right asleep. And sometimes in the church year, we do the same thing with our great green growing days. The time between Pentecost and Advent and the time between Advent and Lent, we just hurry through them to, to plan for the next season. We finish Pentecost, and we're already thinking about, we're already thinking about the next season. But ordinary time isn't a season. It's just a way to describe the weeks between seasons. The word ordinary can mean regular or plain, but it means counted. Ordinal numbers are counted first, second, third, and so on. So as the kids helped us see, we are the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, an intentionally counted Sunday after Pentecost. So it doesn't have to be an endless cycle with no meaning. We count it and care for it, and if we take time in our life to think about that, we can see some amazing and extraordinary things. Ecclesiastes tells us that life isn't actually meaningless, even though he says meaningless like 38 times. It's not meaningless. It's vapor-like. The critic is not saying that life has no meaning at all. He's just saying that the meaning is hidden. It's confusing. It's disorienting and uncontrollable. And you can't control your life as much as you think you can or as much as people have told you can. You can't. And maybe we should stop trying so hard. Maybe we should hold things with an open hand. 
because we have control over our attitude and our actions in the current moment, but we have no control about the reactions of others. Maybe we should stop worrying and choose to enjoy a good conversation with a friend. Or maybe we should look at that ever-rising and ever-setting sunset and look at the colors in a deep way. Maybe we should go listen to a stream and spend all of our time listening to the noise in a relaxing and calming way instead of just thinking how it endlessly rushes for all of eternity. Maybe we should enjoy the taste of some really good food. Instead of just eating to fuel ourselves for the next work day, maybe we should savor those flavors. And maybe we can listen to the melodies of our favorite song, even if they've been played like a hundred times in the last hour on the radio. Both are good, the good and the bad things are gifts, because life itself is a gift. And that is a lesson that we learn in Ecclesiastes. The author speaks up at the end of the book and keeps us from falling into this utter despair, which is why it's kind of hard to just read a portion of Ecclesiastes. And it's also hard to read Ecclesiastes outside of all the other wisdom books. But the author speaks up and says life does have meaning. God will clear the vapor. God will clear the havel someday and bring justice. And in the meantime, we can try to live a wise life in the fear of the Lord. We can move with the havelness, with the vaporness of our life. Ordinary time isn't boring. It can be extraordinary if we choose to hold our expectations loosely and see the gifts that we have been given. We can enjoy the small things and think it's a blessing that can replenish our soul, even as the complexities of life take us to places we didn't think we would go. It took me a long time to learn, and I'm still learning, Uh, but this, if I could go back to my younger self, the one that's keeping herself up at night, I would tell her to look a little harder at her story and find the extraordinary things that have happened to her, and I would hold her hand as she fell asleep. So though we know that life is not stationary, we can be co-creators of beauty in our own lives and in the lives of others. And we can take a moment to rest in these common spaces in this ordinary time and find ourselves thankful for the breath in our lungs because it too is Havel. Let's pray together. And then after that, I would love if some kids could share with us what they have drawn. God, thank you so much for today, for this sixth Sunday after Pentecost. I pray that you would be with us as we go from this place. Help us to see the ways that you are in breaking into the world. Help us to participate in those ways. And help us not to be overtaken by the despair of life and the ways life doesn't work the way we thought they should. Help us to see the gifts that you have given us and help us to be gifts to those around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Would one of you children like to share your drawing?